Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we want to give you thanks, give you praise tonight for Ignition Tucson. God, for this, this family that you have established, this isn't any of our doing, Lord God, but you have ordained this to work your purposes, Lord God. And, and the greatest purpose in this is that we would know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, as our Lord, that we would grow in our understanding of your love for us and of your will for us, Lord God. So help us as we look to Genesis 18 to really grow in wisdom with regards to the path that you've set before us, uh, that we would be sensitive to your leading and that we would position ourselves for direction and for encouragement from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight's title is Positioned for Encouragement. We're going to look at Genesis 18. We're going to see where Abraham was in his walk with God that perhaps positioned him to receive the encouragement in the direction he does from God. Tonight's chapter, we see the Lord showing up yet again to encourage Abraham. And as we've made our way through the life of Abraham, it's actually been really encouraging to see God's grace and patience with him. I mean, Abraham has had his ups and downs. He's the father of faith, but he hasn't been the strongest man of faith uh, the whole time, right? He's had some slip-ups. He's had some setbacks. But it's so encouraging to me to see God's grace and patience in his life, guiding him, redirecting him. And I want to tell you guys tonight that God desires the same for you. God desires to encourage you. God desires to direct your life in the path that you should go, in the places that you should go. And in this chapter, we're going to see four things, if you're a note-taker, Four things that we're going to glean from this chapter to see where we can be and what we can do to position ourselves for encouragement. If you are lacking encouragement from the Lord, if you're lacking direction from God right now, you want to hear from Him, write these things down and and take them to heart, okay? Now, where are we at? We're going to jump in because the first thing that we need to do to position ourselves for encouragement was actually found last week. So I'm going to piggyback off of last week. What happened last week in last chapter? Well, we saw uh, Genesis uh, 17. It was 13 years since Abraham and Sarah heard anything from God. The last they had done was took matters into their own hands. They were disobedient, and they thought they were helping God, and they had that incident with Hagar, and, and Ishmael was the byproduct. And it was 13 years since they'd heard from God. And then God shows up and he's reminding them, that's not my will for you. This is my will for you. He reassures them. He re-encourages them. He redirects them. And he changes their name as a reminder. After he changes their name, at the end of the chapter, God gave Abraham some homework, an assignment, a difficult one. He said, you and all the males in your household will be circumcised as a sign of the covenant between me and you. No big deal, right? He's only a 90-year-old man who has to now take care of business himself, circumcise himself. And what's even crazier is that Abraham obeyed right away. He did it. He shows us this amazing example of faith in believing God enough to do what he says, and he obeys. And this brings us to the first thing that we should do if we want to position ourselves for God's encouragement and God's direction, and that is obedience. Obedience. Now, it's been a matter of months, if not just days, since we last heard from God in the life of Abraham. And here he is showing up again, 
so soon, so quickly to encourage him and to speak to him and to direct direct him. And I don't think it's a coincidence that obedience was the last thing Abraham did. And it just reminded me that God's encouragement is often followed by our obedience. God's direction in your life, God's confirmation in your life is often followed by your obedience. Do you realize that? We want it the other way around. We want God to confirm that's what we're supposed to do. We want God to make us feel good about what, we're, what, what He's calling us to do. We want to know everything's going to be okay before we step out. And God says, no, you step out first and then I will confirm to you. Direction and encouragement have to follow obedience. So if you want, to, uh, you want God's direction in your life, you need to obey Him. You need to do what He says. And if you're not feeling that encouragement, could it be, maybe this is one of the reasons that you're not obeying Him. That He's asked you to do something and you just haven't done it yet, and so now you feel super dry spiritually. You feel like you're maybe aimless a little bit in your spiritual walk. Could it be because you didn't obey Him? What was the last thing you felt the Lord convicting you, prompting you to do? Did you do it? Did you act on that? Maybe, maybe you've recently given your life to the Lord or recommitted your life, and God's like, you should get baptized. Do you guys know Jesus commanded us to get baptized? It's very important. Maybe, maybe God's not moving and, and confirming because you haven't obeyed and stepped out and gotten baptized. Maybe He's calling you to ask for forgiveness from somebody. That relationship that's been kind of a mess, and you haven't owned up to any of your side of it. Maybe he's doing, asking you to do something harder and forgive someone else. That's a difficult thing. But these things, if we don't obey God in these areas, it will stifen his direction and his encouragement in our life. Now, I'm not, I don't know what kind of specifics there are for you. I know the Holy Spirit, though, is sufficient to wake you up in the middle of the night and put that thing on your heart. And I hope and pray he does. I hope and pray he doesn't stop telling you what you need to do. And as you do it, guys, as you step out in obedience, I want to assure you, it is encouraging when you do. Encouragement certainly does follow obedience. It feels really good to, to walk in obedience with the Lord. When you know you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, it hangs over your head. It's this constant stress and pressure. And when you finally take care of that business, you finally feel like you are truly walking with God, that, that the Lord really is your Lord. It feels good. It's a relief, and his encouragement follows, and so does his direction. So the Lord shows up after Abraham's obedience to yet again reassure him, to direct him. Verse 1 says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. If I have found favor, please hang out. Please spend some time with me. And he does. He hangs out. He spends time with Abraham. You know why? Because Abraham found favor in the eyes of God. This word favor in the original language is the same word for grace. In fact, just a few chapters ago, we read about a godly man named Noah. He wasn't perfect. He was a sinner like everybody else. Not on the same degree as everybody else. But he found grace or favor in the eyes of God. What's significant about this principle, guys, is this is the only way that any human being can have a relationship with God. Do you realize that? God hasn't pursued any human being because he's like, 
that dude is cool, man. I want to hang out with that guy. That girl, man, she's got it going on. She is so righteous. I want to get to know her. That has, God has never said that about anybody to initiate, to initiate a relationship. We have to find grace in His eyes for us to even approach Him. And guess what? Grace is available to all of us. God loves us all. God is willing to extend unmerited favor, which is what grace is. And, and Abraham's like, if I have found grace in your eyes, then stop. And, and the Lord assures him, yes, you have favor in my eyes. I care about you. You're, you're my friend, Abraham. Second thing I see here, though, that Abraham is doing to position himself to receive a, a encouragement from the Lord is he's vigilant. So number two thing, if you're writing this down, vigilance. To be watchful. To be waiting for the Lord to speak to you. You see, Abraham had experienced God's presence and his directing and his word, his revelation enough to know how special it is. And I don't know if you guys have received this, if you guys have experienced God speaking into your life, God doing things before you. I was talking with a brother just tonight about how he's really encouraged because God just keeps answering his prayers. It feels amazing when you really see God's hand in your life. And Abraham had experienced it enough to know it and to anticipate it and to want it more, to look for it every day. In fact, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 30, speaking of wisdom, it says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates. Those who every day get up and they're at the gates of wisdom. They're at the word of God. They're anticipating God speaking to them. Those are the ones who are hearing from God. Listen, guys, so many people come to church and go through the motions and go through the routines, but listen, it's those who come with an anticipation that God will speak to them. Those are the ones that typically leave moved and touched and with God's encouragement and direction. The ones looking for it. The ones every day who are getting into the Word, who are carving out some time during their day just to sit still in the presence of God because they truly believe God wants to say something to them that day. Those are the ones that hear from God. They're vigilant. They're watching daily at the gates of the Lord. So, so too, you want to position yourself for encouragement, start listening. Start expecting God to encourage you. Believe that He really wants to encourage you. Verse 4. It says, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent and Sarah said, and to, the, to Sarah and said, quick, three seeds of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So I've talked with you guys about the law of first occurrences, right? Whenever something occurs for the first time in the Bible, it's typically significant. And what we have here is the first occurrence of fast food. That's right. And it's significant because it's cheeseburgers, at least that's what I'm seeing here, beef and curds. That sounds like cheeseburgers to me. You take the two cakes. Here's how you do it, Lord. Two cakes. You put some Thousand Island sauce on it right here. Got yourself an in and out burger. That's what it sounds like to me. 
But something interesting about this is the, the meal that he put together for the Lord, it's not kosher. It's not a kosher meal. You're not supposed to mix meat with dairy according to the Jewish kosher laws. And yet here is Abraham mixing these and the Lord eating them, having no, no issues, no problem. This kosher law about dairy and meat it comes from Exodus 23, Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 14. Three times, three different chapters, uh, a law is mentioned where they get this law. But what the law says is you're not to take a calf, a young calf, and boil it in its mother's milk and cook it in its mother's milk. Presumably because that's just sick and twisted to, to do that. Uh, and God's like, I don't want you as my people acting that way. That's just weird and demented. Now, there could have been more reasons why the Lord said not to do that as well, but that seems to be the obvious one. But that's all the law said. So they took it, the Jewish, the religious Pharisees took it, like a lot of the other laws of the Torah, they added to it, expounded on it. They added to God's word to the degree where it said, you can't mix any meat with any dairy at all, or you're in sin. You're violating the law of God. Now, you'll get in trouble for doing this in Israel today, even if you go over there. In fact, funny story, it was probably like 10 years ago, Pastor Paul, our worship director, was over there with Pastor Robert and with a group from the church. And the group is walking through this, court, this food courtyard. And all of a sudden, this Jewish guy starts yelling at the crowd, like just hollering and, and walking like briskly towards them. And they just kind of kept walking and they ended up exiting the courtyard, the food area, the food court. And uh, Paul, Pastor Paul's like talking to the tour guide, hey, what, what was that guy all upset about as he's sipping on his latte? He's like, you. He's like, you, you, brought, you brought your latte into that food court. I didn't know you had your coffee with you. And they were, yelling, they were screaming at you because you had cream in your coffee around all the meat. So, I mean, they are like really strict with this, even to this day. And it's just another example of how Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He said, you guys transgress the commandments of God for the sake of the traditions of men. You know, the ability to be hospitable and to love your neighbors yourself compromised because of a law that you made up, that a guy can't drink a latte within 20 feet of your restaurant. You know what I mean? It's just a little crazy. But I thought that was interesting. Abraham feeds him a non-kosher, according to the kosher law, a non-kosher meal. But here, Abraham gives us another example. I don't know if you caught it. I don't know if you've caught Abraham's actions here. But he's not only watchful, he's not only obedient, but he's quick to serve. And this is the third thing. If you want to position yourself for God's encouragement in your life, for God's direction, serve. This is one of the six practices of a disciple that we like to teach here. If we are to be Christ followers and Christ disciples, we will be like Christ. We will be those who look for opportunities to serve, who look for needs around us to meet, not necessarily even just at church. Start taking out the trash when you see it's, it's almost full. Start doing the dishes so your wife or your mom or whoever you live with doesn't have to do that. Just be a servant. Get off the bench and get in the game and start practicing service and you will see God move in your life. In fact, you will see God directing you. Maybe you're like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what my giftings are. Well, you're not going to know if you continue to sit on your hands. Jim Elliott uh, made this quote famous. He said that it's easier to steer a moving car than it is a parked car. 
And it's a good picture, an illustration for God and how He works in our lives. If you want God to direct you, you need to start moving. And He'll, he'll confirm to you what you're good at, what you're not good at. He'll, he'll, he'll bring that encouragement. There's so much to do at church. I don't know if you guys realize this, but just your age group as young adults, you just being who you are at your age, you're so cool to the junior high kids. And the high school kids, some of them. Some of the high school kids are a little too cool for you. But I just want to tell you that there are, there are younger kids in junior high who would love to have a cool grown-up like you asking them how their day was and, and connecting with them. So maybe look for opportunities to serve in you. There are child, there's always a need in children's ministry. I don't know if that's your gifting. It's not for everybody. But there are lots of places to pick up a shovel and get in the trench and start serving Christ. Be busy serving and you will see God opening up more doors, directing you and encouraging you. Verse 9. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, Well, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with her. Uh, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, I am worn out, and my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? So I want you guys to picture this. So there's Sarah now in the tent, spry 98-year-old, right? She's not a typical 98-year-old. She's definitely a little more energetic. So here she is in the tent, probably tidying up in what would be her kitchen after making lunch for everybody. And she hears this guy say something outrageous. She, first, she hears her name. The Lord's like, is Sarah around? And Sarah's like, Bing, and she starts tuning in. They're talking about me? What, are they, what could these guys want to talk about me? You know? So, so she tunes in, and she hears this guy say something outlandish. This guy's like, you guys are going to have a baby. You and Sarah are going to get pregnant. And by this time next year, you're going to have a baby. And Sarah's like, Pfft. She starts picturing this process. She's like, wait, that would mean Abraham and I would have to do something we haven't done in a few years. Right? And the thought of this makes her chuckle. And she says to herself in the tent with nobody around, nobody hearing, she says, am I going to have pleasure? Now, I, I read commentaries on this, looked at the original language. As far as I can tell, she was not being delicate about this. I mean, why, why would she? She's talking to herself. She's basically saying, am I actually going to have sexual relations with my husband and enjoy that again? Is that what's going to happen? Come on. And she laughs about that. I'm, I'm worn out, she says. And she's like, Abraham, well, he's been offline in that department for a little while, so I don't know how this is going to work. And she laughs. And some people get down on Sarah like, oh, she's just rebellious. She's, she's, she lacks faith and all that stuff. Similar to, to the way some people beat on Abraham last chapter for laughing when God did this. But I think we shouldn't blame Sarah for responding the way she did now, let's, let's remove our holier-than-thou caps and just look at this at face value. It's an absurd statement that this guy made. We don't, and at this point, we don't know if Sarah knew this was the Lord or if this was just some random guy. She, we don't know if she was aware of who this was. 
but it is definitely an absurd statement. I mean, picture this happening to you. Let's say you're hanging out at your grandparents' house, and there's a knock on the door, and a guy comes in, he's like, congratulations about the baby next year. You're going to have a baby here, and you're like, me? No, no. Your grandma is going to have a baby. You're going to have an uncle that's 20 years younger than you. Congratulations. You'd laugh, or you'd be like, you're crazy. Get out of my house. You know, It's absurd to think this, to, to hear this, and that's okay. But she thinks it's funny. She thinks it's hilarious. Verse, verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Sarah's tuned in still here. She's like, oh, no. How did he know that I, that I thought that? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Rhetorical question, no. If you, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, everything else should be a piece of cake. If you can believe that an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing creator spoke everything that we now see into existence, what's causing an old woman to have a baby? How difficult is that? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Absolutely not. At the appointed time, he says, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Like she's just trying to save face and she's trying to lie to the guy that just read her mind. If you're trying to hide stuff from God, it does not work. And I feel like the Lord thinks it's kind of cute. He's like, like the Lord has experienced this before. I don't, this might not have been the first time God said something crazy to someone and they laughed at him. And he's just like, you just wait and see. Why did you laugh, Sarah? I, I didn't laugh. Ah, uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. But what I love about this is that God doesn't blame Sarah. Like, there's no harsh reprimand for Sarah. For her struggle to, to reconcile the illogical statement. There's no criticism for her. Just, just a reminder of God's greatness. Why, why did you laugh? Is there anything too hard for me? Do you realize who you're talking to, Sarah? And I love that God is not insulted when His plans are seen as absurd. Know this, God is not insulted when you have a hard time with what He desires to do. He's insulted when you don't think He's big enough to fulfill them. That's when He's insulted. Understand this, guys. Faith is not understanding God's plans fully. Faith is believing in them even though you can't. That's what God is looking for. He's not calling us to rationalize His plans. He's just calling us to believe in them. You don't have to figure out everything God is doing in your life. You just have to follow Him by faith. And so He doesn't reprimand Sarah. He's well aware that His plans seem absurd to us. In fact, He's, he's well aware that He's waited to make it physically impossible. He's intentionally done this. He, he knows how crazy it is. He knows how impossible it seems from our vantage point. And so he doesn't get down on us when we can't rationalize with what he's doing. But he just calls us to have faith. And then Sarah gets called out for laughing and she freaks out, right? But know this, guys. As God calls out her laughing and tells her her own thoughts, she's at, he's actually strengthening her faith. Because if this guy can now read her thoughts, maybe he is capable of bringing forth a child in her life. Verse 16. Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. 
And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? So you guys understand the agenda. Many of you guys already know this story. The two angels and the Lord start heading towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord is saying to the angels, should I hide this from Abraham? This judgment that's about to come down the pipe for Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't know how you feel about that. The fact that God is considering hiding something so huge from Abraham. But I want to tell you that God has every right to hide things from us. He does. In fact, God's not obligated to, to fill us in on any of the behind the scenes. He's not. He's not obligated to. The Bible says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. So God in His glory, in His position of authority in working behind the scenes, it's His glory to, to have all the information and to withhold whatever information He sees fit withholding. And some people judge God because of this. They'll judge God harshly. They'll even choose not to believe in Him simply because He has hidden certain things from them. For instance, people see the way that God has chosen not to reveal Himself to us. You have people saying, well, you know, we've, we've searched outer space with all of our telescopes and we've seen no evidence of God. Therefore, he's, He doesn't exist. I ran out and I screamed under the sky, God, reveal Yourself to me. And he didn't reveal, he didn't open up the sky and show me. He didn't speak to me. I said, strike me dead. And he didn't strike me dead. He didn't reveal himself. He's not real. So they ignore the ways which God has chosen not to reveal himself. Or rather, they, they see the ways he hasn't. And they ignore all the amazing ways he has revealed himself. For instance, the, the obvious design of creation, the order found within all of creation the fragility of our existence and the fine-tuning of the universe, how close we are to not being able to live on earth, the fact that our universe is so finely tuned that one notch this way or that way and there is no life on earth, that God is holding everything in His hand. They, they neglect these revelations of God. They neglect the greatest revelation of God when He put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and revealed Himself he performed signs and wonders his greatest enemies could not deny. And then he died and rose again on the third day. Oh, but that's nothing. They don't care. They disregard that because he's chosen not to reveal himself in the ways they want him to. Another way that we do this, that people do this, is they'll see tragic events take place. And because God, ha the times when God chose not to intervene. And they, they ask, why didn't God reveal himself in this? Why didn't God intervene? And yet we have no idea how many times God has intervened and prevented tragedies. He doesn't let us know those either. He doesn't get the credit for every time someone's life is saved. Every time some bad guy was averted from committing a heinous crime. He doesn't get any credit for that. But the times he didn't show up and intervene, all of a sudden, God is evil. I don't want to believe in God. But God has the right to keep us in the dark about these things. And if He does, guys, if He does, if you have huge question marks that He has not yet answered, know that He has very good reasons for keeping you in the dark. That He loves you, He's working it for your good. And He has, he has tremendous reasons for keeping you in the dark. In fact, there are so many things we don't know about, things that we would probably freak out about if He did let us know. He, he, he knows what you need to know. 
and all the rest is above your pay grade and above my pay grade.